0: Today we begin a series of messages dealing with a very profound and central theme, a biblical theme, called Shalom. The English word peace is really not sufficient to give us the full meaning of shalom. In English generally when we say that you and I you and I are on peace while well, we are not throwing darts at each other we are not shooting and so forth and uh, that that's about it. There is peace between nations and that's the idea. They're not fighting at least. But the whole concept of shalom in the theological, in the biblical sense is very, very deep and runs from the first page of the scriptures to the last page. (laughs) Somebody uh, who has written a lot in this area, Swartley, wrote... One of the weaknesses of the contemporary churches' peace or shalom witness is that so often its rationale is grounded not in scripture, but in general cultural notions of justice and fairness. Equally lamentable, Christians who stress biblical authority, and preach biblical sermons, react by criticizing peace, shalom, justice, righteousness, another word for it. It's those ideas and its proponents. And then put peace or shalom on discount, regarding it secondary, perhaps even unimportant to the evangelistic mission of the church. So you have two extremes. I remember a few years ago when I was working with InterVarstein, uh, I started talking about it and learning more about it and wanted. Intervarsity, really to be saturated with this kind of thinking. And uh, I wrote something, and I wanted to run that by what some of us have called father of intervarsity. That was John Stott in England. A dear man of God, a scholar, a theologian, a speaker, and on and on. Good writer. So, I, you know, we have been together in different conferences and so forth. So, I sent him what I had written, and I said, uh, I would like to meet with you. And before we embark on this whole journey, not only on InterVarsity in the United States, but uh, around the world, and I just want to run this by you and uh, get your ideas, critique, and tell me what to avoid. So anyway, I met with him in his office in London and uh, drank at least 14 cups of tea and uh, talked two or three hours uh, about the issue, and he was very, very helpful to me, giving people names around the world that I should be in touch with and so forth. When we were ready to leave, when I was ready to leave his office, uh, I turned to him And I said, uh, John, any parting word, advice from you? And uh, he would never call me Sam. It was always Samuel. And uh, he said, Samuel. He put his arm on my shoulder. And he said, always remember the centrality of Christ. Centrality of Christ and then he talked about be careful about the truncated gospel either this or this sometimes we call it the saving gospel and the others would like to call it the other side of it the social gospel he said one without the other is incomplete So we started that journey and went on for years, took people around the world in many different places where there were turmoil and difficulties and so forth. Let me say another thing. All of us, just by being human, become participants in God's story in the great dance, according to C.S. Lewis, cosmic play, and if you want to call it cosmic dance, the, what really comes from the Hindu mythology. And uh, so if, if you think about the great dance, the great play, the drama, that human, and divine is involved in. We are all part of it. You and I don't have any choice whether we want to participate in this play or not. Just by being here on this earth and by being human, we are participants in that. Now, there are two kinds of roles we can play as actors as participants in this play, in this drama, in this story. We need the script. We need to read the script very, very carefully. And the whole script is given to us in scripture. Some roles are for the wholeness, the well-being, and the flourishing Of what God has created and the way it was supposed to be. Some roles are working toward that end. And there are other roles, they are for vandalization, destruction, decay. Decay of what God created and the way it was not supposed to be. So, as we begin this series, we are beginning on really the central, the foundational theme in the scriptures, Sometimes when we think of shalom, all we think of, you know, the Hebrew greeting and uh, so forth. And yes, that that's what it is. But if you take it in that sense, it's limited. But when you take it in the theological, the biblical sense, it is loaded, loaded with meaning and what you and I need to be. So beginning today, we are going to start on it. Let me give you what, we are giving us the definition of uh, shalom. Shalom is the intended wholeness, well-being, and flourishing of all God's interrelated creation. As four of us have met a few times, talking about it, preparing for these messages and uh, having some discussions and so forth. We can continue for months and months. It is so beautiful, so encouraging. And for me, it is a privilege to sit with sisters and brother who begin to think and work in this whole idea. And I hope that we as a church begin to think about it I'm sure some of you have already been thinking about it. So, here is, here is the schedule we are going to try to follow. Today, we have our own leader, our own worthy pastor, who is going to be leading this series. He's going to be speaking on Shalom with God. Then, the next part, we are going to be talking about Shalom with creation, call it environment or whatever you want to call it, creation. And Anne Swain is going to be touching on that and dealing with that. And I hope you don't miss any of this because that will be very rich for all of us, but especially if there are our college and university students, I want them to hear all of that and the third will be shalom with others i will be speaking on that who is my neighbor who are the others we'll be talking about it and then the last one will be shalom with oneself shalom within myself within yourself within a person and wanda morgan is going to be talking about that. And uh, we have, as I said, sat down with each other, given each other some feedback, questions, and so forth, because we wanted it all to come as a unit, as coherence, coherent unit, uh, rather than just this part and that part, all of that. One request we have of you, or suggestions, I should say, Think about the questions you would like to ask about any or all of the messages, no matter how deep, no matter how simple they are, they are questions. So please don't wait till the end of the series. At the end of each message, just jot down, write it down, that this is what you would like to discuss. And hopefully at the end of all of this, we are going to have uh, something like a panel discussion, sort of conversation with our audience, with our members, so we can talk back and forth, question each other, and think where do we go with this. And the next suggestion is, think about the implications of all That is said in these messages on a personal and corporate level. What does it mean to me? What should it mean to us as a church? So, with that, I stop and give it to our pastor, and he is going to speak on the first topic in this series. All
1: right, so we have this to look forward to in the coming weeks. We'll spend a little less time on Shalom with God because it's probably a topic we're somewhat familiar with. So um, that's where we begin, though. We begin with Shalom with God. And it's, of course, by no means the end of the story, but it is the place to start because it's the key to the other perspectives that we'll be looking at in the coming weeks. Shalom with creation and others and, and self. For for each of those shalom with God is is the linchpin to unlocking the others. It's it's the thread that if you start to pull on it, all the others unravel. And the, the text that we read today, which or we read today, which is expert or excerpts from Revelation twenty one and twenty two, is where I want to get to with with this topic to look at. After all, it's the end of the story. This great cosmic story that Sam referenced. But to begin, I want to back up, as Sam said, this theme goes from the very beginning of the biblical story to the end. So let's begin in the beginning with the creation, the Garden of Eden. And let me read for you Genesis 2, 8 through 10. If you have a Bible, you can flip to the very beginning of the Bible, look at Genesis 2 and read along with me. Genesis 2, 8 to 10. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food and in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river watered or a river watering the garden flowed from Eden and from there it was separated into four headwaters. So our story begins in a garden. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up picturing this garden as a sort of tropical jungle full of good fruits and flowers and, you know, naked people hiding behind bushes and snakes, you know, and, and maybe that's because that's the way it's often pictured in children's Bibles, but that's actually the wrong idea. You see, a garden in in the ancient Near East where this is taking place, if we can have that first slide, was, was more like the gardens that you'd find outside a royal palace with walls and pathways and planned and manicured. It's a place for royalty to enjoy. Common people did not have gardens like this. Royalty did. It's a place of beauty, a place of rest, a place of peace, and yes, a place of delicious food and beautiful sights. And in the ancient Near East, the gods were conceived of as the greatest kings of all, and so it's not surprising that God would have such a garden of God's own. And that's what the Garden of Eden is. And here's the key point to notice about this the Garden of Eden is God's garden. It's God's garden. In fact, Ezekiel 28.13 calls it the garden of God. God is the king, so it's God's garden. And later in the story, we'll see God walking in the garden, God's garden, in the cool of the day, enjoying it. It's also no coincidence that later in the story, when God's people make first a tent tabernacle and then later a temple as places for God to dwell and be present, Those are decorated with fruit and flowers, with garden imagery. These these places of of God's presence that later are constructed are hearkening back to that original place of God's presence. Notice also who God puts in the garden. Adam and Eve, humanity. Humanity. God puts humanity into the garden, the place of God's presence, so that we can be with God, so that we can take care of the garden, and so that we can enjoy God and his blessings and the garden with God. And this is shalom with God at the beginning. It's being with God in God's presence, walking and talking with God, working for and with the king, And enjoying it all in a wonderful, bounteous, beautiful, royal place. Notice finally the river in the garden, which flows from the garden, which means that the garden's on a mountain. And this river from the garden flows down and waters the earth. In other words, from God's presence flows life and shalom for the whole earth, for the whole creation. So if that's the picture that you know, very briefly, if that's what we see at the beginning, what happened? Right? What happened to the garden? Because we're not in the garden anymore, are we? Well, if if you read the story, we, we learned that humanity turned away from God, that we sought to call our own shots about how the garden should run. And we chose to go our own way in terms of figuring out how life should work. And so when we get to chapter 3, if you have your Bible open, you can turn the page. Verses 8 to 10 of Genesis 3, we read, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And then down in verses 22 and 24. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So notice what the result was when humanity turned against God, we didn't read that part. You can, you can read it in Genesis 3. Many of you are familiar with it. But that's what prompted the part that I read. Humanity turned from God, rebelled against their king, and chose their own path. And what was the result? It's shalom destroyed. Shalom destroyed. So first notice that there's shame. God comes walking in his garden, and instead of being eager to see God and greet God, the humans run and hide. They they head for the bushes. They're afraid. They're ashamed. And isn't the feeling of nakedness, which is expressed there, a powerful experience of what it means to feel ashamed? And so from humanity's perspective, we, we run from God. We feel ashamed because we know we've done wrong. We're, we're now unworthy. We're guilty. Shalom, peace, right relationship with God has broken down from the side of humanity. That's the first thing. But then second, notice also that it breaks down from God's side too. God banishes us from his garden. He kicks us out of his presence. God won't have rebels running amok, messing up, sabotaging his royal presence. So shalom with God has broken down on our end, and it's also broken down on God's end. There is discord both ways. Instead of peace and relationship, there's shame and tension and fear and separation and distrust and conflict. We know that experience, right? We know A world like that? Relationships like that? It's the world we live in because we live outside of the garden. We live outside of God's presence. And the world we live in is still broken. And we'll look at that and unpack it in the the coming weeks. But against that background, let's move now to the end of the story, which are the verses that were read this morning in Genesis 21 and 22. It describes the restoration of shalom with God. And as I read portions of it again, notice the parallels back to the Garden of Eden. So first in Revelation 21, we read, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. Notice we're back in God's presence again here at the end. We're in God's dwelling place again. It's no longer a garden, but as we'll see, it's now a garden city. Verse 3 They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 5 He who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. Verse 7, those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. So notice here that shalom with God is restored at the end. Not only are we back in God's presence, but we are now God's people. We are God's bride, God's children. We're walking and talking with God again in the place of God's presence. Enjoying a relationship with the king again. And we're more than servants or subjects of the king. We're so much more here at the end. We are God's own bride. We are God's own children. This book of Revelation is straining language. It's heaping up imagery about how wonderful this relationship is. We're royalty. We're the king's own closest family now. This is shalom restored. Even better than restored, it's shalom perfected. Let's keep reading in chapter 22, 1 to 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations." Notice the tree of life is back, and the river is back, flowing from God's presence through this garden city, bringing life, bringing shalom. And then listen to verse 4 they will see his face. Isn't that incredible? We will see his face. No more shame, no more fear, no more hiding or separation, no more tension or distrust or conflict. What greater image is there of shalom with God of of connection, of intimacy than gazing at one another face to face? This is shalom with God. Are you ready for it? So let me ask you, where are we now in the story? We looked at the beginning and we we looked at the end. We're we're not back in the Garden of Eden anymore. (laughs) when we walked and we talked with God in the garden, that got spoiled, that got ruined. We're also not in the new creation yet, God's new garden city, where where we see God face to face, where we reign and rejoice with God as his bride, as his children, enjoying God face to face. We have that to look forward to. But where are we now? Well, that depends. It depends as... John Stott reminded Sam, and he relayed to us. It depends where we stand with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ, the one who's pictured as the Lamb in in Revelation in the passage we read, Jesus Christ is the one who restored our peace, our shalom with God. He did it by dying on a cross, like, like a lamb being sacrificed in our place for our rebellion, for our sin. For our messing up of God's shalom. Jesus took the rap. Jesus took the punishment, the consequences of it all on himself. And as a result, remember how our shalom with God got broken in two ways. First, from our side, we felt fear and shame and unworthiness. And so we hid and we've been hiding from God ever since. And then, second, from God's side, God banished us from His garden, from His presence. But but Jesus, on the cross, reversed that brokenness and restored shalom in both ways, from both sides, and offers it to to those who follow Him. So, if we follow Jesus, if we put our trust in Him, then let me take these two sides in the, the reverse direction first. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, God is no longer against us. Through Jesus, God has restored our relationship with God from God's end. God no longer shuts us out of his presence. Instead, God welcomes us back in. And then second, Jesus also wants to fix and to restore our relationship with God from our end. Jesus wants to take away our shame and our fear. Jesus says to us, it's okay, even if you feel naked or ashamed or or unworthy before God, let my love clothe you. Lift up your face. It's okay. God is not against you anymore. God holds nothing against you. God wants to receive you with joy as a husband receives his bride on their wedding day. Don't be afraid. You don't need to be ashamed. Come with me, Jesus says, back into God's presence. In fact, come sit down at our table and come be a part of our family. Wow. Shalom with God. Ephesians 2.14 sums it up well. For he, Jesus Christ himself, is our peace, is our shalom, who has made The two won and has destroyed the barrier. So, in conclusion, how much shalom with God can we enjoy today? How far into God's presence can we go? How much of God's face can we see now in this life? How close can can you get to that amazing picture that we see at the end of Revelation? Answer? a lot more, a lot farther in than you've gotten thus far. Because Jesus has made peace. Shalom has been reestablished with God. We have been invited, adopted into God's family. God is inviting us back in. Inviting us close. As one of my favorite preachers loved to put it, the door to God's heart is open wide and we are welcome to come in the question is not how willing is god but how willing are we how close are we willing to come because here's the thing's about the thing about relationships they're risky <laughs> they're vulnerable they will change us if we get close that's why we talk about being transformed in our vision statement as a church And relationships take work. They they take commitment. They, They take focus. And there are so many distractions and so many substitutes. So, it's up to us. Many who have pursued more of God have found God in amazing, astounding ways. And so, shalom with God is there to be enjoyed if we want it. Jesus has done all that's needed He's unlocked the lock. He's opened the door. The question is just how far we want to go in. Let's pray. And as we pray, I want to invite you just to take a minute silently to ask yourself, God, what are you saying to me this morning? Take a minute and reflect and ask God what he's saying to you. Then I'll close us. God, thank you that you loved us so much that you have spoken to us. You have reached out to us and communicated with us and done everything that needs to be done for us to be restored to you, for us to experience shalom with you. I pray that we would hear your voice this morning and that you'd give us the grace to respond, to do what we need to do to respond to what you're saying to us. I pray that we would hear your voice this morning inviting us further in. That we would realize that we don't need to feel shame. That if we trust in Jesus Christ, that your face shines upon us again. That you welcome us in. And that we can come boldly and gladly into a closer relationship with you. Into your presence. To enjoy this first dimension of shalom, the shalom between us and you. Amen. If you'd like more prayer this morning after the service in the lounge, the prayer team that have wear, wearing lanyards will be available to pray with you.